0: Attention please, places for top of show, places for top of show. Hello and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show.
1: Hi everyone! Welcome to the new year! Yay! 2019! And it's our birthday oh, tomorrow! Birthday! <laughs> Last year, the podcast was on our birthday. So this year, the podcast is one day off from our birthday. But anyways, like last year, I will be having roundtable pizza for my birthday uh, with the family. Twin is on the East Coast and will not be able to join for pizza, though she will probably get pictures of pizza. Twin, what are you doing Actually, for your I birthday? I have
0: pizza. No, no, no I, I was gonna do Indian food, but I think I should go find pizza. I think this is a much better idea. Um, so I am for the first time I've lived in New York City for 10 years and I've never actually like had a birthday celebration in New York. And this year I actually feel like I have enough friends that are not just Matt's friends that I can have a birthday party. So I created a birthday party for myself. So, uh, tomorrow on Saturday, I'm going to the 75 club. Everybody who listens to this is invited. Everybody's invited. It's at 75 Murray street. Is this really awesome building and there's no sign out front. So you have to like go in the doors and then you either go down the steps to the left or there's an elevator to the right. And there's this is awesome little jazz club underneath. So it's called the 75 club. We're going to get there around seven o'clock. Hopefully we might do dinner beforehand. Um, like I said, I was singing Indian food, but now pizza sounds much better. Uh, pizza yeah, always just sounds better. Hang out, um, drink cocktails. They have pims, which I'm super excited about and listen to jazz music. So that's what I'm doing for my birthday. I think it's a good Ten year in New York celebration. It's our 35th birthday. And uh I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah, I expect to get plenty
1: of pictures and videos as I send back pictures and videos of us eating pizza in Fullerton. Um, which I doubt anybody's really close to Fullerton, but if you want to stop by round table in Fullerton, <laughs> you can meet That's the family. <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, since it's the start of the new year and the, you know, end of the last year, we thought we'd go over some things, uh, what we did last year, what we're doing this coming year, some of our goals for the year, not really like resolutions because nobody ever really sticks to those anyways, but more overarching goals. Um, so yeah, some of the things that are pretty cool that happened at the podcast last year is, uh, we got more downloads, obviously, for another year. Uh, some of the most interesting things is that we, we, not all of our subscribers or listeners so far are from the United States. Only 90% are. We actually have some from Sweden, Australia, Canada, and Latvia, which is a country, uh, by the Baltic Sea, because I didn't know where it was, but, uh, I don't know who's listening out there. Kai says it might be people just using different IP addresses, jumping all over the place, Who knows, but I'm going to pretend that there's 1% of our listeners sitting in Latvia listening to what Cindy and I do out here in America.
0: (laughs) Maybe they're (laughs) learning English, so they're just listening to podcasts.
1: (laughs) That would be good. Um, Some of our top podcasts from uh, all times are Kim and Kelly, who were episode number uh, 36. They were a great one. They were episode 36. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They were twins. Well, they are twins. I guess they're still twins. (laughs) You can find them on Instagram and they're always posting twin pictures. Uh, But I think we spent half of that podcast talking about being twins. And one of them, I forget which one, just closed Donna Summers on Broadway. So, uh, yeah, you can always follow them. Uh, one of our, the second highest one we have is Terms and Traditions, which was number 28, one of our, uh, early podcasts. And it, it's number second on all time downloads. So I guess you guys like information, um, Terms and Traditions. We'll see if we can come up with some other cool terms and traditions. Uh, over the last 30 days, one of the top podcasts was, uh, obviously the more recent ones, the, Episode we did with the production team of Madam Butterfly and Opera Columbus was uh, part two, which is interesting that part one is not one of the top ones. Part two is, uh, but that was always a good one. I mean, they're all good. I I should stop saying that because we try not to do bad podcasts. But uh, that one, um, Ashley Flowers and Eric Hartz is number two in the top 30 days. In the last 30 days, they are... Uh, props people who have their own podcast, which, you know, I'm sure you've heard me talk about plenty of times. Uh, For Ashley and Eric, I thought their podcast was excellent because they have their own podcast. And so it's kind of fun to talk to other people who also have a podcast. And Eric has a couple books out. Uh, I got one for Christmas, actually. And I gave Larry Murrow one for for his birthday, which was two days ago, uh, which are excellent books. I've gone through and looked at all the pictures. Soon I'm going to have to read words. But those are uh, excellent books. Uh, So, yeah, that's kind of an overview of what we've done, I think. uh, What episode is this, Twin? 60-something? 68? I don't remember. (laughs) But, yeah, this year in 2019... We're going to hit uh, 100 podcasts, so I'm looking forward to the 100th podcast one. We're going to have to think of something exciting to do for that, but luckily we have a couple months before we get there. Uh, I looked it up. This podcast is going to be number 66. Guess it's a good one to start the new year with.
0: So will be close to the end of the year. That's an interesting number. Okay.
1: <laughs> uh, So, yeah. So what... Uh, what excitement have you been up to Twin? We were thinking of talking about some of the uh back and forth what shows we did during the the last year. Uh one thing we wanted to talk about is the Cindy wanted to do shows based on month, but I said I couldn't do that cuz sometimes I have multiple shows in one month and then sometimes I go a couple month without shows which is one thing we were talking about before the podcast. Cindy and I both do kind of long-term work on shows as TD and production manager or stage manager were there through the whole process. So I did 11 shows this year. Twin, how many did you do?
0: Uh, One, two, three. Yeah, that's weird because like these three are together and those two are together. But I guess if you just look at the titles, I did one, two, three, four nine or ten nine plus a concert nine plus a small little thing uh yeah so that, that looks
1: about right so that's about normal for us some of our designer friends do 30 shows a year because as like a lighting designer or a sound designer most of their job is Most of, I'm not going to say most of their job, most of their physically being at a theater doing stuff is just during tech week and possibly previews. The rest of it is done at home. So a lot of designers can do a lot more shows in a year because they don't physically have to be building the set for a couple weeks or at rehearsals or pre-production. They can sit at home or sit on an airplane or sit somewhere and work on paperwork and drawings. Uh, So... I'd say, you know, maybe a show yeah, a month between 9 and 12 is about normal for Cindy and I.
0: Right. But I think wedding designers, at least a few that I know, it's like 30 to 40 shows a year, which is which is crazy to me to like be able to think about that many shows at once. But yeah, uh, I yeah, get because confused I spend when there's six, seven, eight weeks on one show. So I like focus on that one show and then move on to the next show.
1: Yeah, it's hard when I do because sometimes I do multiple shows. Uh, to try to split my time between multiple shows and then jump back and forth and remember what prop list goes where, what crew person I need for what job, where I'm driving to today. Uh, the other well, we thing is... We go back and
0: forth a bit. So do you have a,
1: do you have a January show? Uh, I did a couple shows in January. I did Peter Pan Jr. at the Norris, And right after that, we jumped into... I think we were loading the stage like the night we struck Peter Pan. We were loading the set for Picasso at La Pina Gile also at the Norris. And then right after that, I think this one didn't come out till February, but Beauty and the Beast at the Norris, which was a kid show. So two kids show and one professional show at the Norris, which wraps up my nine and a half years at the Norris were those three shows.
0: And then I did a small thing in January. Um, I actually took a couple of months off at the beginning of the year to help my sister-in-law with her. She had a newborn baby. And so being the closest female relative, I stayed home for a while. But of course, I don't sit at home very long. So I got a phone call and went in and did EOF with Prototype Festival, uh, which is a collaboration between the Beth Morrison Project and HERE Center for the Arts. And so it was a like a 10-day gig for me, which is which was a super awesome. It was in Brooklyn or um, in downtown Manhattan, which was also awesome because then I could be home. And um, I got to work with Beth Morrison Project, which is somebody that I've idolized for years. So January was was kind of awesome for me.
1: Yeah, lots of baby pictures that you uh, sent over
0: <laughs> and then a lots project. Baby Babysitting again now for the next couple of weeks. So uh, there'll be more baby pictures. But <laughs> Excellent. And then for me, February for me, it was, was small because um, I just took that whole month off to babysit. So no shows in February.
1: Whereas I jumped in and uh, I'm terrible at dates. My year goes by what show I'm doing. So also in January, February time, I did Allegiance with East West Players and the Japanese American Cultural Community Center, J-A-C-C-C. It's a lot of season there, which was my first show in LA. It was my first show with East West players and J A C C C and also a very big show. George Decay was in it. It had a pretty big cast, a huge set. Um the opening party Cindy came to, I don't know how many people were there. It was like a sold-out house. They had all kinds of food and drinks and a red carpet and reporters and Twin and I took pictures, which is currently on our Facebook the opening night picture of Allegiance. So that was uh, quite a big show, but I was doing that (laughs) show on top of Beauty and the Beast. So I actually missed tech of Allegiance because I was in tech for Beauty and the Beast at the Norris. So, yeah, kind of (laughs) difficult.
0: I can't remember if that was January or February. Right? It was early. In California. It was end of February, early March. Oh, okay. Good. So I
1: kind of jumped a couple because, again, I don't know what month it is. Well, they just, went show February. goes on. So,
0: yes, yeah. And I think it was that day because, like, we literally flew all morning long, landed, spent, like, two hours doing something, eating, and then we got dressed and went to the opening night of Allegiance. It was a long day for Matt and I. Right. I think you both so took a nap. We yeah, I think you took a nap. <laughs> both of you. Probably with Matt, the dog. Probably, we both probably took a nap. Yeah, that's true. So then in March, again, I didn't do any shows. Um Matt and I were on vacation. We flew straight from California to Florida. Um so the big thing for us in Florida is that we stopped by Home Beach Opera and checked in on a rehearsal because Brett, who was on our podcast and Tracy who's been on our podcast were both in rehearsals for um that night that I went, we were doing Marriage of Figaro. Uh Tim who's been on our podcast was there as well. I like saw him out of the corner of my eye and then he disappeared and I didn't actually get to say hi. And David Adam Moore was in that rehearsal that I saw. Who we've had on our podcast, we brought him on the podcast to talk about his his design and his production elements. Um, but in Figaro, he was playing the Count, I think. So it was a very interesting collaboration of, of all people coming together. But that was kind of my big theater thing in in March was to see all those people down in in Florida while I was on vacation. Yeah, twin takes vacations. It's good. Uh, during that time, I think
1: I jumped into the Little Mermaid, which was with Soundstage Live. Jeff Kaysen, who was uh, an early one on the podcast, I think he was single digits. I didn't actually work on any of the show. I was in charge of the front of house, uh, lobby setup, tear down, and that's the first show that Kai's ever done. Uh, he was running first and only show so far, right? Yeah, first and only sh- Well, technically he helped build a show for Dana for a day or two. Uh, but this, his cousin Dana, who was also on the podcast, I think everybody's going to be on the podcast at some point. Uh, but he was actually running the interaction with the cell phones for that. And so he had an iPad that was running what everybody's cell phones were doing during the show because it was an interactive uh, show. So that was fun for him to be on headset for the first time in here. What it's like on our end, <laughs> the headset and the chatter and the backstories of everything while the audience is
0: watching a show. <laughs> Which is super entertaining. I had people do that for the first time this summer in Teatro Nuovo, and they were like, You guys got to do a lot on headset. Yep,
1: this is true. Yep. Not being on headset, you miss half the show. You guys just don't understand that when you're not on headset. <laughs> uh, okay, so did you finally go
0: back and do a show? March, April, May. Yeah. April's when I finally started going back to work. So my babysitting duties were done for a little bit. And April was when I went out to Opera Omaha, my first show in Opera Omaha, which was The Wreck, which was a show that we created and put up in 10 days, uh, which was crazy and awesome and a really, really great experience. And Omaha is actually where I'm going to next in two weeks. So I'm excited to make that connection and to... To, to return to Omaha. This time, not for a new show. We're doing Elixir coming up. But anyways, that was my April. I spent four weeks out in Omaha making really, really great friends. yeah I don't think I did. Nothing any- after that May and June. I then flew out to Portland Opera where I did Faust. Uh, we had Bearclaw, Vida, David Adam Moore all on our podcast. That's where I did Faust. It was probably one of the best shows I've ever called in my life. It's and you were nervous so about some of
1: those cues.
0: You I was like- scared. I, mean, it was, I, I should have counted. Um, they asked me how many cues I had, and I should have actually counted because they were in the hundreds. I never stopped talking. I never stopped calling cues. I had. I called all of the scene changes, all of the real cues. There were sections where we had like in half a page of music. Um, I had projection cues, lighting cues. I don't think we had any sound cues, um, but I did call all the follow spot cues as well. So it was a super exciting show. I spent so much time learning the show. It was Faust, so I've done Faust twice before, which was super helpful because I knew the music really well. I knew the storyline really well, so it was just learning our production of it. But to be able to call the cues and to call the spotlights and just to like watch everything go perfectly, um super awesome. It was a really, really great show. So that was my May and June was first, first. Opera in Portland with house. And also Kai and I then
1: went up to Portland to be there for the opening night of that show. Uh, We'd never been to Portland either. We drove up and it was super exciting to watch a show that twin was doing. So be able to get the perks of going backstage and meeting people, but not actually having to work the show. Uh, So that was fun. Again, more pictures of the not quite red carpet. I think it, no, there was a red carpet right out front. (laughs) I think you guys, yeah, I never made
0: it out front, but I think you guys had pictures on the red carpet. And then for the opening, the the party afterwards, there was lots of pictures.
1: Oh, yeah, it was a good party afterwards. Uh, I made sure to take pictures of Twin with everybody, which uh, I know she was super excited about at the time. But then later it was helpful when I was like, oh, look, a picture of Twin and David Adam Moore. Oh, look, a picture of Twin with Vita. Oh, look, I made Twin stand through all these pictures.
0: (laughs) Now I can use all these pictures. the Yep. (laughs) Uh, so then at end of June, I was actually still in Portland when I started putting everything together for Teatro Nuevo because, um, it was our first inaugural year with Teatro Nuevo. It was the same group of people from, um, Valcanto at Caramore. So I had an advantage that I knew people, but we moved to SUNY Purchase and we, we had to house people for the first time. So I spent my entire week, my last week in Portland opera between shows, I think about 40 hours that week working on the Nuovo stuff. Uh, I flew back to, to New York city and instantly started on that. And that's pretty much where I spent mid June through mid August was with Teatro Nuovo. We did three full on concerts, uh, semi-stage concerts, Medea Toncredi, and Tancredi Rifato with three different casts. And then thrown in there were about 30 other chamber, chamber orchestra, um, solo concerts, uh, scene works, all this stuff. So uh, it was a very, very intense summer Uh, from that group of people. We had Jakob on our podcast and Tim. Uh, We got other people obviously on our list, but it was probably one of the best summers I've ever had. And uh, we're already counting down the days till next summer. I think Lucy said it's like, I'll have to look it up. 158 days until we're all together again or something crazy like that but we all have a countdown going because we miss each other so much. So um New Year's Day, Lucy says 158 more days till we're all together again. So um, that was my summer and I'm looking forward to next summer. I'm, I'm so excited about it.
1: Okay, you jumped ahead a little. I uh while you were talking I looked up some of the other shows. Uh, dates. So in May, I went back to Long Beach Opera, where Sydney and I both started opera years ago, and uh, did a two performance, two or three rehearsals. It was called The Best of 20, because it was Andreas's uh, 20th year at 20th. Long Beach Opera.
0: 20th.
1: Yeah, 20th year at Long Beach Opera. So uh, they wanted bunch of people to come back and work on the show. And since Terry Christian knew that Cindy was out of town, and Cindy was normally the stage manager, they called me and I'm like, you guys know I'm not really a stage manager, right? They're like, yeah, it's Andreas, you'll be fine. Which is true, because it's not like Andreas sticks to uh, typical stage management duties when he hires people. So it was fun. And I got to hang out with a bunch of old opera friends that we haven't seen in a while. Uh would sit in a lot of pictures, perform in a space that uh, is one of Cindy's favorite booths in the world because it has a bathroom. Uh, so that was interesting. It was also the because first time. Because they have
0: a bathroom inside the booth.
1: It is very cool. and tell you, it's excellent. It's also the biggest booth I've ever it's seen. Awesome. But uh, that's the first yeah. time I've stage managed a show in probably 11 years. <laughs> But I mean, it was loosely stage managed. It was all old people, not old age wise, but they've done a number of shows with Andrea. So everyone knew how it worked and I knew how it worked. So uh, that's what I did for a week or two in, in May. Then because I'd left the Norris uh, in March, I had some downtime before I'd found some other work. So I went to the Long Beach Playhouse and helped build a show there uh, called Flight, which I made a pretty impressive looking tree I was excited about. Uh, what month were we on, Twin? Did
0: we hit June yet? I was up to August. Oh, man. Okay. all of them go together. You know, like you said, I spend like six to eight weeks per production. So, Chacha Noble for me started the end of June and went through the beginning of August. That's true. Okay. So,
1: then in my June, uh, I went to East West Players and built a set called As We Babble On. It was during that time that I talked to Andy Lowe and. I was hired for two months to move their 6,000 square foot warehouse over and rebuild and design it, which, by the way, I'm super excited about. Uh, if anybody wants to come see the warehouse or rent anything, it's gorgeous. Uh, and then they we were in talks for me to join East West Players as a part-time person around that time, but I had to hold off on that because I then went into a new work that I took because I thought Twin would like it. It was called Mannequin Man by Day and Tenor by Night.
0: (laughs) I love how that's how you accepted a job. You're like, this is weird. This is strange. Cindy would like something like this. Right? That's that's why I did
1: it. Because I was like, okay, you're rehearsing in a warehouse. It's a new work. It's uh, written by a guy who has studied opera. Perfect. I'm taking it. Uh, So I'm sure if anyone followed us on Instagram, I have about 5 million pictures of Mannequin Man or tenor by night or however you want to call it cuz it's a long title. Uh but yeah, that's the that was like the crazy exciting weird new work show that I did and uh, I went to El Portal with that one which later in the year I went back to El Portal in North Hollywood uh to do another show. But that that brings me through
0: August. Great. Then my after Teatro Nuovo, I had 3 days off, maybe 4. And <laughs> I drove myself down to Opera Philadelphia, which I feel like is now my home away from home. Uh, Long Beach used to be my home away from home, but now Opera Philadelphia has my heart. And it was August and September that I did Queens of the Night and Nikitae Pa. And I, I call it two shows. It was really more like four shows all in the same space, but two different directors and like all different casts. Um Again, another super amazing experience with a crew that I don't think I've ever loved the crew as much as I loved this one and crazy hours, long hours. We drank a lot of coffee and ate a lot of Dunkin Donuts because it was across the street. But I did two really, really great shows with some really wonderful people, um, some new people, some old people, some people that I never worked with before. But uh, I got to work with Dan Pearlstein again. I got to work with Maggie and Drew. Again, um, Rachel again, which was super great. I got to meet new stage managers. I got to spend my summer or my August September with Brett and Tracy again. We were on different shows, but um we still managed to see each other on a regular basis. So that was really awesome. And again, non-traditional venues. So it was a, a rock concert, so then I got to make friends with a whole bunch of people who work at rock concerts, which, <laughs> which was very different. It was very awesome. And that was yeah. my August September.
1: Not your normal uh, opera scene.
0: Not, no, this was definitely not the normal opera scene. I did, Queens of the Night it was a, um, more or less a opera drag show. Uh, but I don't think I've ever done a show that I had laughed so much at. So, and to have the whole crew, which was also awesome. So, you know, you're with these like crew guys who could care less about what show you're doing. They just know how to move scenery. And they were sitting in the house with me, like watching the show, crying from laughing so much. And they didn't even know half of the opera jokes, but I think they were laughing because I was laughing. And they would they would lean over to me and be like, is this an opera joke? And I'd have to explain to them why it was really funny. And then they would bust up laughing. But I gave everybody an education on that one. So (laughs) it was really cool. They all Uh, know a lot more about opera than they did before we did that show.
1: (laughs) And uh, about drag queens and stuff like that. It was yeah, some pretty impressive costumes for were, that show. They were more
0: used to that. Like they're like, oh yeah, we've worked with Dido many times. We know all about this. But it was the opera that that was new to them. But <laughs> they all became opera fans after that, so it's all good.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, jumping to October, I did my technically third show at East West Players. By this point, I am now a part-time East West Players person as the Technical and Facilities Manager. We did Viet Gone, which is a fairly new work. It has been done a couple times around. Um, I think it actually was workshopped and premiered at South Coast Rep uh, down in uh, Orange County, up by me. Orange County. So, yep. So I did Viet Gone, and then what were you doing?
0: I my last week in Philadelphia, I got an email from a friend of a friend saying, "Hey, are you free these ten days in October? We're doing." Um, a show in a cemetery. So I spent part of October at the Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn doing Scenes from Frankenstein and Telltale Heart, which are both two new pieces written by Greg Caller. Um, I got to work with Tlaylock as a lighting designer. And uh, Sarah was our director. And Andrew Osley kind of came up with a whole, whole thing and produced it and curated it. And... Um, And I spent 10 days in a, in a catacomb. It was totally right up my alley and it fit perfectly. I came home from Upper Philadelphia. And then very next day I went, I drove to the, to the cemetery. It was also the closest job I've ever had to my house. It's literally four miles away. I got there in like 10 minutes. It was so amazing.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good.
0: That never happens in Brooklyn. So that was really awesome. And again, I made really great connections and um, there's some, things coming down the line for 2019 that include these people as well which I'm very excited about but I'll talk about that later in the podcast hopefully and uh that was pretty much my October because by that point in the year I had spent almost seven months on the road and uh Matt told me that was enough and I had to stay home for a while so I turned down an opera or I turned down a ballet gig and an opera and uh and I I stayed home for three months
1: which I know is very exciting. You're going a little stir crazy. So luckily, you're you're back on the road soon.
0: <laughs> I got two weeks. I got two weeks. I'm going. I'm going very stir crazy right now. But I got <laughs> two more weeks before I go back on the road.
1: Uh, my last show of the year, which I just struck on New Year's Day, no, New Year's Eve, was my first show with the Troubadours. For anyone out in the LA area, the Troubadours are a comedy. A clown troupe that do mashup shows and are fairly popular. Lots of people know about them. This was my first show as TD, and it was called A Year Without a Santana Clause. So it was the animation um, movie, if anyone saw it, A Year Without a Santa Clause. But then they mixed in a bunch of Santana music. And uh, Santa was Mexican, and all of his elves were from all over the place. And it was a pretty ridiculous show. Um, of course, you know, put a bunch of clowns together and give them music and let them kind of do what they want, uh, it kind of goes all over the place. So they were really good at ad-libbing and doing all kinds of stuff, but I met a lot of new people, uh, got to work with some old people, Karen Lawrence, who I did Allegiance with, and, uh, Chris Murillo, who we... I've met a couple times in passing with, but got to know a little better. Uh, Ashford was brought on the show. She did, does costumes at East West Players, uh, so yeah, that was fun. And it it actually closed uh, Sunday before New Year, so couldn't really shove in any other shows around that time.
0: I did do one other one. I had um, in December. Well, actually, end of November, I got a phone call from a friend, a director friend who I adore. Ah, uh, David Lefkowitz, who I've done multiple shows with at Tri Cities Opera, called me up and said, "Hey, um, I have this company, new company called Out of the Box Opera. We're doing our first kind of New York presentation called Opera and Jazz. Uh, it was a a one day event. It was kind of a private party for a guy, and but he just wanted a a stage manager there. And so I went to two days of rehearsal and I got to do this opera and jazz mashup. And that's kind of that's actually where I found." the place that I'm going to go to for my birthday party. Cause that's where we had it. And again, right up my alley because it's a non-traditional venue. It was all just singing, no like real stage management needed. I think I was just kind of there for, for David's comfort and for the singer's comfort. Um, but it was awesome to hear opera songs and jazz songs and they, they mixed it up. So they, you know, they created like Kwando Do in a more, It wasn't Latin feel, but it was more like a tango feel and and mix it with My Funny Valentine. And we threw in some musical theater songs. So I I did that in December. And I also just did another thing in December. can't believe I I forgot about this, but I just spent uh, four days, two days, maybe three days. I just spent three days. They put it together. (laughs) <laughs> at Columbia, working at the Miller Theater with Brad Vernader, who I met at Opera Omaha. And uh, it was a new work. It was a reading for a new opera that's being written by Hannah Lash. And it's going to premiere, I think, in October at the Miller Theater. And so it's so like a two to three day workshop with it. It was the first time with the singers working together and with the a uh, string quartet. And they work very well they play off of each other a lot. So we spent one day with just singers and one day with the quartet. And then the next day we put them all together. Um, and now the playwright or, or Hannah, Hannah and Corey, who's a collaborators, are going to go back and do some more work. And the, the musicians are all going to do some work. And that show is actually going up in October, which I'm excited about because this is, it's a beautiful piece of music and it's a really beautiful story. And I'm excited to see how they're going to turn it into a full production, how they're literally going to make like flowers grow and flowers die as as she becomes who she needs to be. And I'm going to stay in touch with them because I want to see how that production is. And the costume designer for that production is actually um, the costume designer we had in Omaha. So opera is like a crazy small world. I know like L.A. is a small world and everybody knows each other. But I feel like opera is—you know—you'll work with somebody in Omaha, and you never think that you're going to see him again, and then you run into them in Penn Station in the middle of of December, and next thing you know, you're working with them at the end of December. So. Yeah, especially so in Penn Station.
1: Year. Surprising, you found anybody there.
0: Yeah, he he saw me. I'm not really sure. I would have just walked, kept on walking, but he saw me and shouted after me. So it was a good a good connection. But.
1: Yeah. So that that, that was our uh, our year uh lots of stuff back and forth. So, one of the other things we wanted to talk about was uh what we're going to do for next year. Now, in the theater world, most people don't know what they're going to be doing next. Um Cindy is a contractor. At least she It's not that
0: far in advance.
1: Yeah, usually not that far in advance. I know that I am at East West Players and so I will be doing their shows coming up in the next year. Um the first one would be Man of God, which we started building a couple days ago and on January 2nd started rehearsals for. And then in May, East West Players is doing Mamma Mia, which uh, we're starting on getting a production team for. And then I have a signed contract with the Art of Acting Studios in Los Angeles, which is an MFA program for actors. I have two contracts with them. One is a Shakespeare... Um, In Rep Show, they're doing two Shakespeare shows, Pericles and uh, Winter's Tale, which I was working on on the New Year's Day, actually, working on a set design for that. And then in May, they do a contemporary round with three shows. I don't know what those shows are yet. So I have a couple things booked between now and May. But then after that, East West Players needs to figure out a season and who knows what else is coming up. What are, what are your plans so far?
0: Mine's interesting. I, I do have two signed contracts. So January, February, the one that I'm waiting for in two weeks is Elixir of Love with Opera Omaha. I'm actually going to be assistant stage managing, which I'm a bit nervous about because I haven't been in ASM in over five years. Um, I am always a lead stage manager. And so when they offered it to me, I actually had to ask who the stage manager was first to see if I could work with a person. And um, Alec is, he was on Proving Up last year at Opera Omaha. And so I was like, okay, I think I can, I know Alec, I trust him. I, I respect him as a, a person and a stage manager. So I think I can work with him as an ASM. So we'll see how I do on that one. Um, it's going to be a very traditional piece and a traditional theater. And so um, that's also going to be a challenge for me because it's it's not what I traditionally do. Uh,
1: Why did you take a job that's so well, why are you That's doing so
0: traditional, which is not what I do?
1: Yeah, exactly. I... And ASM, <laughs> since you've been stage manager and production stage manager for so many years, why why are you trying an uh, ASM job now?
0: I there's multiple reasons. Number one, I really enjoyed my time in Opera Omaha, and I really really liked the people. Um, I really liked Katie. I really liked Brad, who's now at Miller Theater. I really loved Josh, who's the ATD there. Um, when they told me who the stage management team was, it was two people that were in Omaha with me that I got to know and I really liked. And so, really, it was the people that were drawing me back. Um, I really enjoyed my time in Omaha, and so, and I didn't get to work on at the Orpheum Theater. That's where Medea was, but I spent a number of hours there, either hanging out with Josh or with Devin or just watching that team work and the crew. I really enjoyed they worked and I really respected them and so I love working with an IOTC crew and so this has given me a a chance to work with an IOTC crew. I also think it's good to to become an ASM every now and then or to kind of like step back and not necessarily reevaluate what I'm doing but just to remember what it means to do something different so, it's going to be a huge challenge for me, I think, to not be the lead stage manager. I'm going to, it's going to take a lot of patience and a lot of, um, possibly, I mean, possibly not. The last time I ASMs, it, it was with a really good, with Elizabeth Freeman, who's a great stage manager, and I had absolutely no problem with, it with her, you know. But sometimes it's good just to like take a step back and be like, this is what I expect of ASM's when I stage manage. And so, this is what I'm going to do. Am I expecting too much? Am I expecting too little? You know, can I do what I expect others to do, and just to keep up with the paperwork because the paperwork's completely different as an ASM. You know, um, I'm hoping to be on scenic because I want to be on scenic, but I might not be. Caitlin might is Caitlin. I forget who the ASM is. Might be Caitlin. Um, you know, I might might do costumes, but it's it's going to be good for me to refresh my memory on how to create that paperwork and how to communicate with the crew on that level, and how to create uh, communicate with performers on that level and how to cue performers again because it's not something that I do traditionally and you know just to refresh my mind on how to work in I, and then and an to see how so what those roles are and they're all things that I know but it's not things that I do on a regular basis so I just thought it would be a kind of a good challenge for me and kind of fun to to step back and take on another role and spend more time in Omaha which I'm going to be freezing my ass off so I'm a little bit worried about that but I already know where all the good coffee shops are and where all the good food places are, so I think I'm gonna be okay.
1: Yeah, I think I think you'll probably live. Hopefully you live. I might
0: live. Yeah. I might have to bring a lot more clothes with me this time than I did last time I went to Omaha.
1: So we'll see. Yeah. You you just got a new suitcase for Christmas. You're set.
0: I did. And I'm gonna be smart and bring my big jacket this year, which I did not do last time.
1: <laughs>
0: Useless twin.
1: <laughs> uh the other big one that you're doing which I'm excited about and hopefully can get out to see is uh, Handmaid's Tale in Boston.
0: Yeah, that's the other one that I have a contract for. I'm super excited about. It's uh, the last show of their season. Um, It's not actually the show I had asked for, but other shows were all booked. And so they're like, do you want to take this one? And I was like, oh, sure, I guess. Um, Boston is another place. I really love the people when I was in Boston. And so I would kind of do anything that they asked me to do. But a little bit about Handmaid's Tale is it was first, I got to look this up because I never can remember. Um, It was turned into an opera by a Danish composer. Um, I want to say it's Paul Rudders. I'm not sure that's how you pronounce it. I'm looking at it right now. um, Back in 2000, he he created, he turned um, Margaret Atwood's book into an opera. And it premiered in the Netherlands somewhere. It premiered in the Netherlands in in uh, Copenhagen in, in 2000. It then was at English National in 2003. And then Minnesota Opera did it in 2003 in the United States. They did a version of it in Toronto, which is Margaret Atwood's hometown in 2004. And that was literally the last the last time it's been produced. So it hasn't been done in 14 years. It's only been done once in the United States. And that was 15 years ago. And obviously, that was all way before the TV series came out. And so, Boston Lyric decided to create a new production of it, um, which is really cool. Uh, I know that I need to read the book. So, because I know everyone's going to have read the book, everyone's going to have to watch the series, and there's going to be a lot of discussion on it. I think there's going to be a lot of challenges with it because everybody now has seen the TV series. And so, they're going to have these visual. Um, cues in their head that they're going to relate to, like the specific dress or specific music that's with it. And so, I'm really curious to see how our designers and our production team are going to like make it their own. Uh, we're doing it in a—I want to say it's a, a basketball court somewhere in Boston. So obviously, uh, non-traditional. Which it is says Sting. it's at Harvard
1: University Ray Laviette Pavilion.
0: Yeah, so non-traditional, yep. not a theater. It's a
1: refurbished <laughs> and rededicated arena for men's and women's basketball. So why
0: not do an opera there? This is why I love Boston. Uh, so that's what we're doing. It's, the, the thing that I'm having a problem with right now is it's almost always been performed in English, except for when it premiered in Copenhagen. And the only recording is the Copenhagen one. So the only recording I can find is in Danish, even though I'm pretty sure we're doing it in English. And so right yeah. now I keep listening to the music, but I have no idea what's going on because I don't speak Danish, um, which Good, is a problem. Work on that. But <laughs> but I think that one's going to be really cool, and I'm excited to go back to Boston. I'm excited to work with that team again. Um, I think. And
1: the, is be the so directors, Anne Bogart, who has quite a name for herself. So I'm excited uh, for you to work with someone. Well. I mean, everybody, but, and Bogart has such a name. I want to know, you know, what are the backstories? How is she to work with?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm really curious. I know uh, Darlene has worked with her before and really enjoyed her and I've, I've heard really good things about her. So I think that's, yeah, it's just, it's going to be a really good mix. I can't remember who my ASMs are. I think at least one of them might be the same of who I had last year, but, um, But yeah, again, the group of people at Boston were wonderful. The group of people I worked with in Omaha were wonderful. And so, and same with Philadelphia, you know, all of these people that I work with, I love so much that kind of whatever show they ask me to do, I say yes to because it's so much fun. And and that's what makes what we do exciting. And so when you get to meet people that you love working with, then you, you keep going back. So So those are my first two shows next season. And I wish I could tell you what my other shows are because I've, I've been in communication with three, four, four or five other companies. Um, Offers have been made, but we're still negotiating certain things. Um, I know I'll be back with Teatro Nuovo. That's a given. Uh, We don't know our season yet. Uh, That's still being worked out. We're, we're, we're still playing with different things. we're, Trying to figure out, you know, if if we're going to do some outreach touring, uh, what our concerts are going to be. Um, I think offers have been made, but we're still working on that. My role for that company is going to up the ante a bit, um, which I'll, I'll get to in a second. I've been obviously talking to Opera Philadelphia. I want to go back. They want me to go back, but they're also still still working on their because they're Opera Philadelphia has a full season. And then they do the festival, which is kind of like a second season that they do. So they're in the middle of their actual season, and so I know they're they're working out the actual festival part of it. Um, but fingers crossed, I go back to Philadelphia because I love it so much there. Um, I've been talking to Andrew Owsley, who is with Angel Share, and um, what's the one up in Harlem? Uh, something Crips and Catacombs. He does a, a performance series up there, and so I've been chatting with him about working on that. That's where I did uh, Scenes of Frankenstein. So I'm hoping to do more of that, um, and who knows? More more things might come out of the other companies that I've worked with. Um, smaller contracts always come up. I feel like I keep getting these one and two week contracts in in New York City, which is really awesome to kind of keep me home for a little bit, keep me grounded. Um, a lot of new works. What I love about my next season is that when in Philadelphia, they usually get me the fun and exciting ones. Um, Crypts and catacombs is a lot of concert series, a lot of newer pieces, uh, smaller pieces, but again, non-traditional settings. Teatro Nuovo is not new; it's not tradition, or it's not new works. It's all bel canto pieces, but they're pieces that are rarely done, which gives an exciting opportunity for me and for the performers because it's it's not you know Bohem, which is done over and over, and it's a lot more. You get to play with it a lot more, I think. That kind of leads me to what I wanted to talk about, which Stacey mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Or do you have, you talk about yourself. What Stacey mentioned at the beginning of the podcast is, and kind of my idea with New Year's resolutions. People come up with these resolutions. And and I do have to say, I do come up with New Year's resolutions, and I've been pretty good with sticking to them. My best one last year was. (laughs) As it's already been stated, I don't come up with any resolutions. I don't even try to come up with resolutions. One of my resolutions in 2018 was to read for an hour a day. And I have to say, I'm not sure if I made it. If I was off, I was off by less than five hours. But out of 365 days in the year, I think I did a pretty good job. So, And, and to be fair, you're listening. not
1: technically reading. Some of those are audiobooks. They're
0: all audiobooks, But the fact that I'm actually listening to books. Yeah, that's like more books than I listen to. You're learning about, you know, there are some new books, some fiction, some history, some um, the the great courses. So I got to learn about a whole bunch of stuff. So I feel smarter every time I listen to my audiobook. But I did do over 365 hours of listening or reading to books. So that was a resolution that I kept. So we were trying to talk about like resolutions for theater. And this is the one that for me is super exciting. And it's, it's, this is one of those areas that Stacy and I differ in very much because I have sat down and kind of come up with goals and plans and like resolutions more or less for my career and what I want it to be. And I think I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast, but looking ahead to this next season for me is a is a really, really big one because I feel like these things are all kind of coming together. Um Stacy hasn't I don't, she doesn't necessarily want to do that. Um then again, Stacey's always kind of been like that. I always had very clear goals and Stacey's like, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, exactly. Um, including college. <laughs> like, yeah, <pretty> much. So, <laughs> for, <laughs> for me, I really when I was asked to join Tri-Cities Opera. This was probably four or five years ago now. Um, I really sat down and thought about like what I want to do with my career and where I wanted to go. Did I want to become a full-time production manager at a company or did I want to continue freelancing? And so I had to really consider like where I wanted to be. And I decided to take the position and I stayed there for two years and it was definitely the right choice. And I learned a lot and I was able to help a company grow. I was able to help you know, create a new performance space for them. I helped the performers grow as individuals, as performers. I upped the rental. I reconnected with the different unions and I I got a stronger union contract for IATSE. There's a lot of things that I did when I was at Tri-Cities Opera that I'm very proud of and that I think helped the company and helped the community a lot. And when I left Tri-Cities Opera, again, I had to sit down and figure out like, now what do I want to do with my life? I really enjoyed being a production manager. I really enjoyed working full time at a company because there was so much you can do full time that you can't do when you freelance.
1: Yes, which is why I like to be on staff.
0: Yeah, there's so when I freelance, which is mostly what I do at this point, you go into a company for six to eight weeks, and, and you figure out how that company works, and you do that. And you can't necessarily help the company grow in the long term. I mean, you you can help create a really, really awesome production, which I aim to do at every company that I go to. But as far as long term goals, you don't really have that. And that's kind of why I'm so excited about every production that I do next year currently is a company that I'd already been at. So I feel like I'm helping a company grow by going back multiple times. But I had a lot of thinking to do when I left Tri-Cities Opera. And I was reading a lot of motivational books and inspirational books and like how to figure out who I was. And I was like, I don't really need to figure out who I am as a person. I'm still figuring out my career. And it was when I was in Boston last time that I spent a long time thinking about this when I was on the treadmill. I don't know why, but I just remember me like standing on a treadmill staring out the window, thinking about these things. And what I really <laughs> wanted to do At least you're is... <laughs> exercising. Good job. <laughs> I spent a lot of time on the treadmill. Um is I really like as everybody knows, non-traditional theater, new works. Um, and that's what I wanted to do to make a name for myself. But I really enjoy kind of like helping companies grow and helping new companies. But I also like working with young performers and young stage managers. I've always kind of loved taking, I mean, and this goes like way back to undergrad. I mean, I took Caitlin and under my wing, like as soon as I met Caitlin and like, we were kind of like inseparable for three years. Yeah. Um, but Which, the by the way, Caitlin got married last year. Yay, Caitlin! Yay, Caitlin! I know, I hope she has another wedding so that we can go to it. I think she said she might. But, so, I did the same thing at Tri-Cities Opera. You know, I met some of the stage managers at Binghamton University, and I got to know them, and I invited them in, and I trained them as interns and as ASMs, and now they're, you know, they're out in, in the real world, world working. So that's something that I kind of want to continue to do. So, And Tri-Cities Opera was also known for, um, they were one of the first in the United States to have a resident artist program. And I kind of felt like it was my responsibility as a production manager to not only create these awesome productions for the the singers, but to also kind of train the singers on how to be singers, not how to be singers as singers, but how to be performers. Yeah, I'd say more performers. Yeah, what, what should they expect when they walk into a rehearsal room? What should they expect from their stage manager? How should they treat production personnel, you know, how to not be taken advantage of what, you know, what should they feel comfortable asking for and not asking for. And even after I left Tri-Cities Opera, I still had a number of singers who I worked with there email me or call me and be like, hey, I'm in this situation and I don't know how to deal with it. Can you help me? You know, and it's just kind of teaching these young people like it's, you know, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable because in our business, you'll be taken advantage of or try to get taken advantage of more often than not and not in a mean way it's just everyone's trying to save money and cut corners so I, I felt it was my responsibility to help train these people as best I could in the ways that I knew how so I feel like I'm jumping all over the place fast forward I'm now with, <laughs> with Teatro um, I've been with these people for five seasons but Teatro Nuovo is still new and so what I've been talking to Will about at the end of last season and um, for this season is what I can do to help the company. They don't necessarily need a director of production because we don't have necessarily production elements. I don't have to deal with scenery or... L- I mean, I do deal with lights. Ignore lights. I'm still finding the lighting uh, You did add but, like, a drop
1: to scen- one show last year. I would like to argue that that is scenery pieces.
0: I <laughs> do. Yeah, there's some small stuff. Um, you know, but it's not... I don't like full-on set. So I'm trying oh. to figure out what I can do with Teatro Movo to help grow the company to help make it as wonderful as a program as possible and to help those singers because Teatro Nuovo is known for being like the leading bel canto training program in the United States. We have some of the best um, instructors, some of the best teachers, the best pianists. Um, so what can I do that helps these people make it the most enjoyable summer, the best experience and that they learn the most out of it? I can't teach them how to sing. I can't teach them diction. That's, that's the coach's jobs. But what I can do is teach them how to be performers on stage, teach them um, what it is to be consistent, to, you know, always have the schedule up by a certain time, to always have sign in sheets, to always make sure that there's water available for them in the rehearsal hall, to make sure that seats and music stands and um, the music that they need is always there and to to help give them what they need to create the art that they need to create. Because they're doing so much on stage, and they're especially as students trying to learn so much in one day. Um, and it's given me so much respect for singers because they, you know, got to figure out like where their tongue goes and how they're singing and how their breathing works in these, you know, foreign languages. So, what can I do to make their lives easier so they don't have to worry about their housing and they don't have to worry about their food and they don't have to worry about the temperature in the room and I can help take care of them? And so, that's kind of what I've started doing at most companies that I work with but especially with with young singers and that's kind of where I'm going with Teatro Nuovo and I'm I've been working with Will to try to expand the program to help that cuz Will can see the music aspect of it and Will can make all the rest of it work and then I'm trying to put all of the physical pieces together and that kind of goes along with what I'm hoping to do with a couple other companies who have who've approached me who I've worked with and who I'm starting to talk to about more long-term production management stuff is there's these wonderful people out there who are creating art but they need somebody who can like make it physically happen I guess is the right way to say it um so that they can focus on the art aspect of it they can focus on like the artists and the product what's the right word don't have to worry about making sure that the chairs are set up the right way or that the lights are turning on or that dressing rooms are clean and lit they can just make the rest of the art happen and I can deal with all the rest of it and I feel like that's kind of where my strengths have been it's kind of what Long Beach taught me and it's kind of like what I've been doing all these years and so this upcoming season for me I think is going to turn into more or less half of stage managing and, and making shows happen but a lot of making shows happen on a different level by literally finding these spaces and creating these environments that people want to work in and making it positive working environments for everybody. And I don't think, I feel like I'm rambling a lot, but it's just so important to me to help make art happen. I don't necessarily think of myself as an artist, but I help make everybody else create art. And to me that means that I'm helping to make the art myself, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I don't I never consider myself an
1: artist and they're like, "Yeah, but you work in theater and you like design sets and stuff." I'm like, "Yeah, but I don't see myself really as an
0: artist." But you mean more technical? Happen. Yeah. And some of the art that I make happen is art that I don't I don't always get or that sometimes I don't believe in. I don't believe in the message that's being told, but I believe in the fact that These people believe that it should be told or that art needs to happen. You know, um, the wreck was kind of confusing. And in the end, it turned out wonderful. But there were so many times that I was just like, I don't know what's going on. But these people believe in it. And this is art to them. And audience members are going to show up. And this is art to them. And I believe in the world of art so much that I'll do what I need to do in order to make the rest of it happen. And I kind of feel like I'm the person, I'm one of the people. I think there's lots of people like me who can, like, make all the rest of it happen. And that's kind of what my resolution is this year. And it's not really a resolution, but it's just like finding who that, finding out that this is kind of what I love to do and what I want to do and how to make that happen. And I've now made enough connections that like those are starting to happen. And I feel like there's now companies that are smaller companies who have this great vision. And I feel like I can do so much to help make their vision come to life and make their vision happen and to help create more art in the world. That's my, yeah. that's my 2019 goal.
1: <laughs> Condensed down in a lot of words.
0: <laughs> I'm going to help make art happen.
1: Good, good. One sentence. I'm going to put that in the write-up. Uh, so unlike my, you know, 25, 24 years of life where I don't usually plan much ahead, um, at East West Players, I had my three month review, and they asked me for my goals and milestones, and I was like, uh, "Do shows, do work, I don't know." Yeah, so I actually I sat have, down. I would have gone on for half an hour about what my goals were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I actually sat down and thought of things and created a three year plan, which is uh, what I plan to do at East West Players for three years. And I didn't include a single show because I was like, "Yeah, do shows," but. Because obviously we don't know what shows, but they do three to four shows a year. So do those. But besides that, a lot of the things I focused on was the physical building and the physical uh, parts of the company. Uh, Like Cindy, where she goes into a company and tries to make it better by making the actors feel more welcome. Because I am a...
0: technicians, and crew. Everybody. Yeah, everybody. I I did say performers, but... um, Yeah, you always take care of your crew, too.
1: Uh, so I, I was, everybody. yeah. So I want to do the same things, uh, except not really focus on the actors. I mean, I do, but as a TD, they're not the biggest thing in my job. So the East West Players building is a historic building that was remodeled a number of years ago, like fifteen or twenty, and it just hasn't been maintained because they have a small staff and they have never had a facilities technician, manager, anyone in charge of it. So I notice everything on the physical building. All the tape stuck to the walls, which tape is not the answer for everything. Please stop sticking tape all over the walls. The holes, the random hooks for costumes that have been put up years ago. Five million clip lights when we could just put in one strip light. uh, All kinds of things like that. So I am working on not overhauling, but I guess remodeling and expanding the physical aspects of the company. In three years, I want to make that building look look like the quality of the shows that we put on at East West Players. They do great shows, but you walk backstage and it just looks like nobody's taken a paintbrush to the walls in years, which I don't think they have, or pulled off tape from the last 10 years worth of shows. So I want to make it look like it's a welcoming, comfortable, warm, maintained place so that when actors walk backstage, they don't feel like they're walking into, um... You know, a low-class dump or anything, so that they feel comfortable taking off their shoes and stepping on the floor, and know that it's been mopped recently and not been dirty, and make it so that people want to work there. Because even though consciously people may not think about what it looks like, uh, subconsciously everyone does. I mean, you pay more for a ho- for a hotel room because of what? It still has a bed and a bathroom like the cheap hotel rooms, but it has nicer paintings on the wall and the lobby looks pretty. And the toilet paper is folded into a little triangle and, you know, (laughs) things like that. And really you still have the same bed and you still have a toilet and you still have running water, which is what all hotel rooms have. So I'm trying to make it look better. I'm also trying to uh, up the rentals and uh, the technical stuff because they've not had a full-time technical person there. Um, And they've never really been doing rentals. They have a 6,000 or we have a 6,000 square foot warehouse for building sets, for rehearsing, full of costumes and props. And it's just never been maintained or rented out or anything like that. So what's the point of keeping all this stuff in stock if we use it maybe once a year? Let's rent that stuff out. You know how many kimonos we have at East West Players? If anyone needs a kimono (laughs) or military outfit or anything, we might as well rent it out to the other theaters because why should everybody keep the same stock if we just work together as a community and share these things? And everybody's always looking for rehearsal space. We have rehearsal space. Why don't we have people come in and use the rehearsal space Um, and just kind of make it more of a... Not community, like everyone just passes it around, because obviously we'd be charging some because we have to maintain everything, but just work together. I I don't think theater has ever been about, this is mine, you can't have it. Uh, So just opening it up so that people know we have it, so if they need it, they know where to go. So my three years goals are a lot more, less show-based and more company Like Cindy was saying, I'm at a company so I can help affect the way the company runs. East West Players is already known for doing great work. They do great shows. They advocate for Asian American and people of color to be on stage and backstage and in part of the production. I can't help much of that besides maybe hiring crew, but I can make the buildings better. I can make it more accessible to people for renting or working there or feeling more comfortable or... um, yeah, like Zenny said, help make the art by not actually being an artist. Uh, another exciting thing for the coming year is I'm doing set designs, which I've done on and off at the Norris and in previous years. But uh, actually working in a new space on a set design with people I don't know at the uh, Art of Acting Studios in L.A. Is, is cool and exciting. I get to actually design a set, <laughs> not in a space that I've been in 500 years. And now, twin, we're like at one hour, and you thought we wouldn't have enough stuff to talk about. Uh,
0: yeah. But you talk. Well, hopefully, a lot. we're not we're not too boring about the first stuff because like people know what shows we did, but hopefully, we yeah. good. But I think it's interesting. If not,
1: nobody has to listen to it. <laughs> That's true. Oh yeah, by the way, everyone, I am renaming the podcast to Twins Talk Theater and Dungeons and Dragons and Pets, since I noticed we post a lot of pet pictures, uh, people with their pets or Doggington helping me do recordings or something like that. So hope you're all ready for an expanded uh, Twins Talk Theater.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I told Matt, that's a really long name. I was like, I know, but that's what Stacey talks about all the time is Dungeons and Dragons and Dogs. Hell Yeah. Which or I did play Dungeons and
1: Dragons the uh, day before our birthday. So that's what I do. With a dog.
0: With a dog, I did not do that. So yeah, okay. that's that's our birthday podcast. Um, feel free to join us if you're on the East Coast or West west coast to come celebrate our birthdays and have some drinks. I'll be drinking PIMs if anybody wants to drink PIMs with me. Uh, they have yeah. wine at round
1: table. I'll be drinking wine. Beer is also served. And
0: continue to to listen to twins talk theater because we have a a cool podcast coming up next week which i'm very excited about i've already written down all my questions and i'm prepped for it yeah
1: prepping for things okay thank you everybody hope you have an excellent new year and uh we will be talking to everybody weekly like we did last year perfect (laughs) okay bye twin bye
0: thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at TwinStock Theater. Title Music, Dance Macop is provided by Kevin McLeod of IncomTech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.